just almost exactly 20 years ago, we started a construction project here at the College U site. Uh, we began a construction project that ended up in the construction of this auditorium. It was added on to the old building down that wing, which used to be the auditorium. And so we, we started this construction project. It was not a smooth process. For those of you who were here at the time and can remember, we had a lot of problems. The problem specifically was that the architect, the fellow who designed this building, did not design it in compliance with applicable codes. And so after a while, it was discovered that we weren't getting it built right. And I very graphically remember one day I was here and on the job site, a building inspector came and there broke out a very harsh and hot argument between that building inspector uh, and the architect fella. Uh, you know who won that argument? The building inspector won that argument. And what it ended up, after a lot of trouble and even a lawsuit, it ended up that a very expensive redo and refitting of the building had to be done in order to make it right. And so what I'm describing there is a church inspection took place. In that case, it was a physical church inspection. It was a physical inspection of this church building. But today we want to talk about a spiritual church inspection. Uh, and the inspector is our Lord Jesus Christ. And from the information we have available, we can very well determine what is our church inspector looking for. What does he want in a church? That will be our study for a few minutes this morning. Thanks for being here. As has already been noted, the weather has not been real cooperative this morning. A lot of slick spots on the road, a lot of accidents. I'm glad that you all made it here safely. The forecast doesn't look good for the next several days, and so we'll have to be careful. We're finally having some real winter weather, which we haven't had in a long time. And that may challenge us even more to drive carefully and be safe, but we encourage you to do that. Thanks, as was already mentioned, for your extra efforts to be here this morning and that we can come together for this time of worship. To those who are visiting, thanks for coming. Come back. We're going to be looking, as you probably have already guessed and probably surmised from the reading that Rick did for us just a few moments ago, we're going to be looking at Revelations chapter 2 and 3, wherein the Lord Jesus addressed the seven churches of Asia. We remember that those, that region of Asia, sometimes we call Asia Minor, but it is in the territory that today encompasses the country of Turkey in the Middle East. And, and that's where these seven churches were geographically located. And the Lord had a message to each one of them about things that were good and things that were bad. And so we want to just sort of look at that. As he inspected those churches, as he saw how they were doing, what did he find? First of all, we want to talk about some things that he commended. He commended, for instance, when a church was working hard in service to God. The first of the seven churches that's mentioned is the church at Ephesus. Now, we know a good bit about the church at Ephesus. Even in our recent studies in the book of Acts, we know that the apostle Paul worked at Ephesus for three plus years. Uh, and 
we understand based upon what we read here in Revelation chapter 2 that the Lord is impressed with their diligent and hard work. Notice Revelation chapter 2, beginning verse 2. I know your works. I, I just got to stop here for a minute to point out that this expression is addressed to each of the seven churches. The Lord knew what was going on. He, the Lord was fully aware of the situations with these different churches. I would certainly conclude from that that he's aware of us too, wouldn't you? If he was aware of them and knew everything that was going on, knew all about their, their situations, he could do the same thing for the church at College View. He knows us. He knows our works. And that's certainly something to keep in mind. That's just a side point. But to the church at Ephesus, he says, I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear them that are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. I want to really emphasize to you this word toil here. I know your works, your toil and patient endurance. Understand that this word toil comes from the Greek word kopos, which literally means to work to the point of exhaustion. Now, I think that's significant. The definition of that word doesn't just mean work. It means to work to the point of exhaustion. You have really applied yourself. You've been very busy. You've been working hard. I think you'd agree with me when I say that churches were not designed to be a sort of spiritual vacation resort. This is not a place to take ease and rest. <coughs> Instead, churches are designed to be a focal point of spiritual labor and hard work. And the church at Ephesus was doing that. Now, obviously, the application that we're going to make of each of these observations is to us. It's interesting to know how it applied to those churches, but the application has to be to us today what about us? Would we be a church that would be identified as a hard-working church? That's what the Lord is looking for. We know that the Lord was also seeking a church that would be doctrinally sound. Um, there were some really good things going on at Ephesus, and you, and you have to believe that Paul's influence, although this may have been a number of years later, you have to believe, it, it, it may have been, depending on how you date the, the writing of the book of Revelation, it may have been a good while later, maybe not. But the fact of the matter is that you have to believe that Paul's influence had an enduring effect there. Paul had, and we know this from our recent studies, Paul had specifically warned them to be on guard against false teachers. And it's apparent that they were. Go back to those verses we were just looking at. Notice, he says, you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and found them to be false. Uh, and, and so, clearly, they were watching out for any false teaching or evil influences that might come into the church uh, at Ephesus. You get the distinct idea uh, that they understood the importance of doctrinal soundness. Now, sadly, we are hearing, uh, and sometimes even from our own brethren, that there's too much emphasis being placed upon doctrinal matters. Really? Too much emphasis on doctrine? I can't imagine that, can you? It's clear that our church inspector, Jesus Christ, was specifically checking the church at Ephesus and found, in fact, that they had tested those who were false teachers and found them so and identified them as so. That being the case, 
I'm sure you agree with me that this is absolutely necessary for us as well. The Lord is looking for doctrinal soundness. I believe we could also point out that Jesus was impressed when there was an abundance of good works being done in a congregation. It's easy for a church, maybe in particular a relatively small church, to say we're, we're pretty small. Uh, we don't have a lot of money. Uh, there's just not a lot that we can do. Well, I want to tell you, any thinking along those lines is wrong. The church at Smyrna was commended for their good works, even though they were physically poor. In chapter 2, beginning verse 8, to the angel of the church at Smyrna write, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. There's two kinds of wealth being described here. The first one appears to apply to their physical status. Physically, they were poor, but spiritually, he says, they were rich. They were rich in good works. The Lord is interested in this kind of wealth, right? That's what really is of interest to Him. Now, we live in a time and in a place where it probably could not be accurately said about us that we're poor. We, we live in the richest time and place in the history of, of mankind. But the question is, are we rich in the most important areas, rich in good works toward God? The Lord is looking for churches that are abundant in good works. In regards to those seven churches of Asia, we know that Jesus commended churches when they were courageous, even in the face of persecution. And we know that there was a lot of harsh persecution back in those times. Several of us have discussed among ourselves, and it's even been mentioned in our public assemblies and in our prayers, that we may very well be entering into a period where there'll be an increased persecution against God's people and about the true proclamation of His gospel message. We've lived pretty free from that. Honestly speaking, we've not been bothered with that leading up to now. But it may be that in times, in relatively near times, it may be that we will be persecuted for what we believe and practice. Now, if that happens, we certainly won't be the first Christians to face persecution for what we believe and do the Lord is looking, though, to see how we will react to that. If it were to come to pass, how would we react? Notice what he says to the church at Pergamum. To the angel of the church at Pergamum, right? I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. And so this church was in a place where persecution was strong even to the point that one of the, he, he identifies one of their members who had been martyred for the cause, and yet they, they were faithful in the face of that persecution. Would we pass this inspection? When the Lord inspects College View, would He be able to say the same thing? Again, we've lived fairly free from anything like that. It's almost hard to imagine it could be like that. It could be. It has been in other places. And it could be that way for us. How would we stand in such a test? We need to be ready to be courageous even in the face of persecution. I think we see as well that as the Lord was analyzing these seven churches of Asia, that He was on the lookout for churches that were growing spiritually. 
How often have you heard, maybe you were talking to a Christian who's a member of some other congregation near or far from here, and you say, how are things going there? How, how, how's, how's the church doing? And I don't know how many times I've heard someone say, well, we're just kind of holding our own. I'll tell you, that's, that's a bad description. We, we don't want to be described in that fashion. We need to be growing. We need to be growing spiritually, absolutely, without question. We need to be growing spiritually. And if we're growing spiritually, it may well result, frequently does, in that you will see numerical growth as well. But numerical growth is not our prerogative. You know, we're gonna, if we're busy working and growing spiritually ourselves... Hopefully we'll be planting a seed that will grow in others and numbers will increase. But that's, a, that's, that's not up to us. Our job is to plant the seed. It's up to those who hear whether they'll respond to that or not. But spiritual growth is our job. That's in our realm. We control that and we need to be growing spiritually. Notice what the Lord said to the church at Thyatira. To the angel of the church at Thyatira, he says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. And notice that your latter works exceed the first. That's a pretty good statement, isn't it? You're doing more now than you were doing before. You've grown, spiritually grown. You know, I believe that this indicates that something valuable for us is to look back, see where we were, and be honest and evaluate ourselves where we are presently. And we need to be able to say that the latter works exceed the first because that's what the Lord is looking for. And then I think we could add to the things that he commended among those seven churches of Asia that he commended moral purity. Notice in chapter 3, verse 4, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I think clearly here this expression, it's a figure of speech, but it's being used in such a fashion to denote their moral purity. They hadn't soiled their garments with moral filth. We live in a wicked time. There's just no doubt about it. But others have too. Christians back in the first century, these folks in the church at Sardis, some of them, not all of them, but some of them, a few names, he said, in Sardis, living in the midst of all that wickedness, have been able to keep themselves pure. Our inspector expects us to live with pure moral values, keep our lives free from immorality, not influenced by the trends of society. You know, sometimes we talk about societal norms, and our societal norms are eroding away terribly. And wickedness and immorality being accepted and lived in the world around us, we need to not let our garments be soiled. The Lord is looking for that. All right, so there's six things that we know, and you probably could expand that list. I, I kind of pared that down a little bit, but at least six things that we know the Lord saw in those seven churches of Asia, and he liked it, and he commended them for that. But unfortunately, there were also some things that he condemned that he saw in those churches. Start again with Ephesus. There were a lot of good things to say about Ephesus, and we talked about that earlier in our, in our previous points. They were hard at work, and they were doctrinally sound at Ephesus, but the Lord saw that they did not have the same level of love and devotion that they had had initially. Their zeal, their enthusiasm was waning, 
Notice in chapter 2, again, Rick read these verses for us earlier. In chapter 2, verse 4, I have this against you. Notice that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Man, what a sad tale that is. The Lord could see. He knew that they were, they were going through the motions still of serving Him, but not with the same love and dedication, not with the same zeal and enthusiasm. You have abandoned the love you had at first. How serious was this? He said, Remember therefore from which thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This was a serious enough matter. It was going to keep them from being in a right relationship with the Lord. Again, still going through the right motions, but that wasn't enough. The Lord knew their heart wasn't where it needed to be, and they needed to be warned. They failed the inspection, didn't they? In this regard, the church inspector found a flaw that was a crucial flaw, a vital flaw. It's sort of like when they came here to inspect our building and they found some things that just simply were not the way they were supposed to be and they weren't going to allow it. It had to be changed. It had to be fixed before we could continue to occupy this building. Well, in regards to this spiritual inspection, the, the church inspector, Lord Jesus, found that this church was flawed and it had to be made right or else. And so that's how serious this matter of a diminished love and devotion might be. Furthermore, the Lord found in some of those churches that doctrinal error was being allowed. Now, we already, we are, we'll link this with, with the previous point. He wants doctrinal soundness. He will not accept a church that engages in doctrinal error. Pergamum failed this test. I have a few things against thee, talking to Pergamon, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a summoning block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, to commit fornication. So hast thou them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So two, two doctrines, notice doctrines, two doctrines the Lord wouldn't tolerate. He just wouldn't accept that. He was condemning them for doctrinal matters. To that point we were making earlier, to people who think doctrine doesn't matter or that we're overemphasizing doctrine, look at this. Now, what were these doctrines? We don't know for sure. We know the story of Balaam in the Old Testament, how that apparently he took money in order to advise the king, uh, Balak, to cast a stumbling block before the Israelites to cause them to sin so that God would punish them. Most people think that this doctrine of Balaam had the idea that what's in it for me? What can I get from this? Balaam was very interested in how he might be personally enriched uh, by the advice that he was giving to King Balak. Some people even relate this today to, to the sort of the health and wealth gospel. Serve God and he promises that you'll get rich if you do so and all of that sort of thing. Like Joel Osteen uh, preaches on the television. Uh, that, that's a false doctrine. And that may be very similar to the doctrine of ba- Balaam. We don't know for sure. And definitely this, uh, you can read all you want to and nobody's going to be able to say with any clarity or certainty what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was. But it doesn't matter to us so much other than our point is being made that the Lord is looking for doctrinal soundness and, and he will not accept a church that is engaged in doctrinal error. Uh, why would it be any different today? If we read this, 
being penned in the first century concerning churches that were back there about 2,000 years ago, if it was so then that the Lord would condemn doctrinal error, why wouldn't that also be the case for us? We know that he condemned churches that tolerated evil. Now, I think these two points interesting. Here we were talking about apparently churches that were actually engaged in such matters. But here we're talking about churches that tolerate evil. It's not so much that they're personally doing it, but they're tolerating it. You know, some people seem to be satisfied to say, well, uh, we're not doing that. I don't do that. But they tolerate individuals or even congregations who do such things. And the Lord condemns that approach. It's not enough to just say, I don't do it. If you're tolerating those who do do it, the Lord condemns that. Notice in Revelation 2, verse 20, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality. You know, these people uh, could have said, well, we're not personally engaged in those activities. But notice what the Lord was condemning is you tolerate it. You allow it to go on. You know, and that might involve a situation where in a church, maybe like we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the church at Corinth had an immoral brother in their midst and they wouldn't do anything about it. They were tolerating that situation. That could be the way it is in any congregation. It might be so with us. What if we're tolerating evil? Well, the Lord clearly condemns that. We cannot tolerate it. It's not enough to say I'm not actively participating. The question are you tolerating it. The Lord condemns those who tolerate evil. The Lord condemned, I think think this might be a worthy observation. The Lord condemned among those churches when there was no follow through in the work that they did. We had a friend years ago, I think Cindy will remember, I I mentioned, I won't won't mention the name, I'll tell her later who I'm talking about, I think she'll remember. We had this friend a number of years ago and his wife described him as a great, project starter he wasn't such a good project finisher he had projects all over the house that had started but not finished he was a good starter not not a good finisher i'll tell you i think there are a lot of churches like that you know it's great to come up with ideas and plans but if there's no follow-through the lord is not satisfied with that look in in revelation 3 Verse 1, to the angel of the church at Sardis write, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Notice, their works weren't complete or finished. That's the idea of that. They weren't weren't completed. Uh, And so... The message to us is we can do all the talking we want. We can do all the planning we want. There needs to be follow through or else it could be said of us. We could be condemned like the church at Sardis. Your works are not complete. You haven't finished what you started to do. We need to finish what we start. And then let me suggest to you, and I know you know what I'm talking about here. The Lord condemned lukewarmness. This, of course, comes from the famous expression to the church at Laodicea. You know it well. In chapter 3, beginning verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. 
that lukewarm church. You know, so how, how would the church inspector judge that? You know, so a member of the church at Laodicea said, well, I admit, we're not, we're maybe not as active, not as enthusiastic, not as zealous. We're not working as hard as we could. But please note that we're not just completely cold. We haven't just quit altogether. We haven't just dried up on the vine. We're still here. We're still doing something. We're not hot. But at least credit us for the fact that we're not cold either. Huh. Jesus is not satisfied with that, right? Lukewarm is not going to please him. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm is not good enough. So again, I think you could probably add to this list, but here's five things that we know that the Lord specifically condemned among those churches. Get our point. Our point's a real easy one. The Lord is looking. The Lord is inspecting. He's checking out the churches, the seven churches of Asia. He's checking out the church at College View. We know what he's looking for and what he wants and doesn't want in a church. Let me real quickly run through sort of a summary list. See if you'd agree with me. Based upon what we've just been reading and studying in Revelations 2 and 3, would you agree with me that Jesus is seeking churches that are obedient to his word, that are energetic, that endure even in the face of persecution and opposition, that are sound in doctrine, that are tireless in their labor, that are courageous even in the face of death, that grow spiritually and potentially, likely from that, also grow numerically. Churches that are pure, churches that are penitent. When there's wrong, they repent. Churches that refuse to tolerate false teaching. Churches that discipline wayward members, will not tolerate evil. Churches that are stable, churches that are zealous, churches that practice self-evaluation. And I think that's a big takeaway from the, the messages to the seven churches of Asia is that they needed to evaluate their own situation, see where they were and make needed changes And that would be true for us as well. Again, that's a familiar study to us, Revelations 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia. But I'm telling you what, there's just a lot of information there that can be and should be helpful to us. The Lord is inspecting us as he did them. How would we stand in that inspection? Thanks for listening. We're going to sing a song of invitation. As we sing this song of invitation, we'll be... Asking everybody to look to your own life. Make sure you're right with God. If that necessitates and means that you need to obey the simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you need to do that, we'd be anxious to assist you. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithful to your Lord, you need to come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you. Let us know how we can help. Always stand and sing this song.